Welcome. Can we stand for one sec, please? And there's plenty of seats, so... I just want to, just in this moment, just as I was praying outside, I was talking to Jesse and, and Chris out in the, um, in the back there, and then as they walked out, the Holy Spirit prompted me to just to share this quickly with you as the anointing of God is with you 24-7. You don't have to build up to get an anointing. That's called emotion. The Holy Spirit's with you. Now, you give him honor. There's a, there's a prerequisite to coming to his presence, but he's with you 24-7. So don't worry about the chaos or the noise or whatever. You need to understand that Christ with you is with you. The hope of glory is within you. If you're looking for an event and you get your, 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 your strength from an event, you're missing the point. Christ is with you. He lives in you. We prepare our hearts before we come before the Lord. But it's not based on the emotion. It's not based on whether there's kids screaming or whether it's raining outside or whether... The music's good. It's about the Holy Ghost inside you. So at this point in time, just lift your hands to heaven. So I feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit here that people are getting a fix, but they're not getting fixed. The Holy Spirit's not in the job of just giving you a touch so you can go home and say, wow, that was good. And by the time you walk out in the car park, you're back the same. But the Holy Spirit is the one that the living and breathing and dwells in you. So as you touch heaven, Forget about me. Forget about the music. Forget about the place. Forget about the word. Just remember who the Holy Ghost is in you. He's the lover of your soul. Thank you, Jesus. Reach out and touch him. Reach out and just like the woman with the issue of blood, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Be like Zacchaeus who climbed up that tree and said, just, just if I could just see him. Like blind Bartimaeus just yelling and screaming, Son of David, have mercy on me. Holy Spirit, thank you. Oh, Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, your Lord. It's not by power, nor by might, but it's by His Spirit. Shackles are breaking in people's hearts now. Understand and perceive how much the Father loves you. Thank you, Father. Lord, I declare and decree in your name that chains are broken. Mindsets are renewed, Father. Hearts have been mended. Lord, that wisdom and revelation and understanding will come as we search out the heart of God. We're going to be like the unprofitable servant who served God no matter the cost, no matter what the reward was, he was going to serve God no matter what. Hallelujah. 
thank you, Father, that your anointing fall tonight. I hand this meeting over to you. You are Lord over this meeting. You are Lord over our minds and our hearts. I declare Jesus is Lord, and there's no one other than him. He is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He is the word that became flesh. He's the lover of my soul. And I worship you, Father. I worship the Father in spirit and in truth. My spirit longs to worship you. So I subject my soul and my flesh to this and say, Father, have your way tonight. We thank you for what you have started in us and we give you praise for what you're going to do and complete. Because God sees the end from the beginning. God is a good God. He is a merciful God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. Let the words that come out of my mouth be yours, Father. You won't change hearing my voice. You'll change hearing his. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in this meeting. And we give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sharon. You can be seated. Amen. Welcome. It's an honor to be with you again. I want to thank Dorian for last Sunday. It was an awesome message. I, I rang him on Monday, said that was an awesome message. Dorian, have a break for a while. No envy, just have a break for a while. It's a blessing, Dorian and Rose. Thanks for what you do for us and for this ministry and for the kingdom. We are, we're honored to have him walking with us and by our side. Amen. Who loves Jesus? Only three people. Hey, Auntie, how are you? Who loves Jesus? Are you sure? Are we honored to be in his presence? Welcome to the married couple. Give them a round of applause. They said not to bring attention to them, so they'll look away. I started a couple of weeks ago about a, um, a teaching on who do you say I am. And we, we spoke about Peter and we touched on what Peter and the very common story. We know the story. And, you know, Jesus was revealed. And, and I'm only continue on that series about who do you say I am? Because I really want to get into you, to all of us. Who do you say Jesus is in your life? And we're going to touch on, on Jesus tonight. And I want to, I pray that it comes across, trying to make it as simple as possible. But I was getting excited as I was studying this and, and, and something that's birthed in me a long time ago. And I love it when, you know, when you get a revelation and you read something and you see Jesus in it. And then you think, wow. And then one month later, three years later, 10 years later, God acts to it. You think, wow, I thought I understood that. And God magnifies it even better. Then you see Jesus in a bigger way again. I get excited. I still read the Bible after 19 years like a little boy with a, you know, like a kid in a candy shop. You know, I still get, wow, look at that chocolate. Look at that lolly. Because the word of God is a nourishment to my soul. It's like honey to the soul. 
And when you see, you see, you see Jesus in a bigger way, and you see he magnifies in you, and you, you see him differently. You know, sometimes people say, oh, I've never heard that before. That's new. That's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. It might be new to you because it's the first time you've heard it, but it's not new to God. What did the early church know? What did the early church in the beginning know that we're not, we don't know yet? Or what did they walk in that we're not walking in yet? You know, we accuse churches of stealing your money. First thing they say, are you in that church that steals your money? I said, no, when the RSL stole my money for years. <laughs> and I gave more than 10% to the RSL club. But when it comes to God, oh, they stole your money. But the early church were in one, one accord that they sold all their possessions, gave it to the disciples, and no one went without. You would have said they're ripping them off. There'll be a Facebook page against Peter and John. Look what they're doing. But things in the Spirit, we see things through the, the eyes of the Spirit. But we need to understand what, who Christ is in us and through us. And that question, that question still beams out today. Who is Jesus? One guy said to me once, and you hear this a lot, Jesus is a good man. He's a good moral teacher. No, he's not. He's either the Son of God or he's a lunatic. You can't claim to be a good, honorable man, but he also said, oh, I'm the Son of God. I am from the Father. I have the authority over it. He didn't just claim to teach good things and forgive one another, and they're all great principles. But Jesus didn't let you stay there. He draws, he draws a line in the sand and says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So you can't say Jesus is a good moral teacher. He doesn't give you that luxury. He either is the Son of God or he's an absolute lunatic and he should be in an asylum. Because someone can't claim to be God and forgive sin and heal the sick and on before the Father and give you all the attributes of a Messiah who, who was with God in the beginning. So he's a good teacher, but he's not the son of God. Then he's a lunatic. He's not a good teacher. And this is where Jesus himself confronts us to find out who he really is. Who is Jesus to you? So tonight, we understand that Peter revealed him as Christ, the son of the living God. Remember a couple of weeks ago? But the Pharisees and the, 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 the scribes or the Jewish people, when he was doing miracles, said that he was operating in Beelzebub, a, a prince of demons. They said he had demons in him. Beelzebub means the Lord of the Flies. It's a demonic prince. And they accused Jesus of operating in that. It's interesting eh, to think that we think and we teach and we believe that Peter was the first one to reveal Christ as the Son of God. True. We, think, we say and we teach it and we preach it, but isn't it interesting that tradition is very, even we've got traditions, guys, that we stick to, we never question. But in John chapter 1, verse 43, there was a person that revealed, one of the disciples that revealed Jesus, who he was before Peter. Look at this. The following day, Jesus went, wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom the Mo Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Parramatta? Maryland? 
Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed whom has no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. This is before he had even picked the 12 yet. Before Peter announced it, Nathaniel knew who he was. Nathaniel didn't know who he was in the natural. Again, it was revealed to him by the Spirit. And tonight we're going to talk about who Jesus is. We know Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist declared him the Lamb of God. Peter declared him the Son of God. Nathaniel declared him the Son of God and the King of Israel, which is the King of the Jews. The Pharisees declared him as a demon. And we can go on and on and on. John, uh, sorry, uh, blind Bartimaeus declared him as the son of David, meaning you are from David's line, you're a king. So we understand that Jesus, in the Old Testament, there was a king, a priest, and a prophet. The king had a kingdom. The priest had a sacrifice and interceded on behalf of the people to God, and a prophet had a message. Today, you are kings and priests and prophets in your own home. But a king to have a, to, in order for a king to be a king, he needs a kingdom. True? In order for a prophet to be a prophet, he needs a message. But in order for a priest to be a priest, he needs an altar and a sacrifice. And we understand that in the Old Testament, there was the high priest. We know Caiaphas in the time of Jesus was the high priest. And God established the priesthood. And it's interesting now, tonight I want to talk to you about Jesus, not the Son of God, not the Lamb of God, not the King of Kings, but the, King, the great high priest. You need to understand him as the great high priest. This is an attribute, because we've got to understand, I remember telling a story once, or sharing a testimony with his girl, she was studying law. And I said to her, I'm no longer under law, I'm under grace. Jesus fulfilled the law. The Bible says that we're no longer under law, under grace. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And she was a lawyer. She said, well, I don't understand that because I'm a lawyer. And if you don't break the law today, you haven't fulfilled it because tomorrow that law is still there. So if you speed tomorrow, you've broken the law, you get fined. So how did Jesus fulfill the law? And I said to her, just believe it by faith. I couldn't explain it to her. Isn't it funny? We can quote scriptures. I'm under law, I'm under grace. So the Ten Commandments don't apply to you anymore? No, I mean, you know what I mean? Like Jesus died on the cross for me and my faith's in him. He goes, yeah, but how did you fulfill the law? And then I couldn't answer it. This is a while ago. Last week. No, I'm joking. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. Now, when he says the law, you have to understand something. Please understand me. He's not just referring to Ten Commandments. He's referring to the Torah, the whole book of Moses. From Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Exodus, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those five books. See, a priest in those days had to learn the first five books of Moses or four of the Torah off by heart by the age of five. By the age of five years old, can you get me a five? No, don't get me, leave him in there. I'm going to ask him. By the age of five, they knew the first five books of the Bible off by heart. 
We barely know who John 3.16, 3.17 is. What's John 3.16, everyone? Is that it? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. They have everlasting life. What's John 3.17? You get what I'm trying to say? Now, this is not about memorization of Scripture and how much you know, but these guys had honor for the Word of God. And, and uh, Anyone read Leviticus lately? <laughs> if you want to go to sleep quick, just read Leviticus, the book of Leviticus. You'll be in bed in three seconds. You don't need sleeping tablets and so many tablets. You don't need anything. You just read that. <gasps> First five books, the high priest. Then by the age of 30, they had to declare the whole law. The whole Old Testament, they knew it off by heart. They had to be able to recite it in order to be a priest. And here comes Jesus Christ walking down to the, to the Jordan River. We know that Peter revealed him as the Son of God. We know that the Pharisees called him a devil. We know that uh, Nathaniel called him the King of the Jews and the Son of God. But he now he's walking down to his cousin John the Baptist. We know that Elizabeth, John's mom, is Mary's first cousin. So they were second cousins. They were walking down. John's baptizing in the Jordan River. Jesus is walking down to John. He knows John. Would have had lunch with John. Would have had birthday parties with John. He knew he was his cousin. But right at this point in time, Jesus shows up to the Jordan. And John the Baptist looks up and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus walks up to him. It's interesting that John the Baptist, Father Zechariah, and I think I've shared this before, but just to give you a background. In order to be a priest in those days, you had to come from the line of Aaron, which is Moses' brother. So when God established the tabernacle, uh, the ark of the, uh, the altar, and he made the altar in the Old Testament, he says, from your lineage, from your brother Aaron, let him be separated as a priest, and his sons and all his descendants will be the, the priesthood, and they will intercede on behalf of the people for me, to me. Are you with me? There was the tribe of Aaron. Yeah? So everyone that ministered from that day up until Jesus' day, every priest had to come from the line of Aaron in order to be a legitimate priest. And there was different factions, but ultimately they came from that same lineage. Just like Jesus is the king of kings because he comes from the line of tribe of Judah. He was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judah. You know the statement, the line of the tribe of Judah? A lion is a king. Jesus is a king. He came from the line of David. David came from Bethlehem, came from Judah, the tribe. So he is a king by natural birth. Amen. He is a prophet. He's known as a prophet. But here, to fulfill all righteousness, look what he says here. Matthew 3, 13. And before we read this, I want to give you a backdrop. So John the Baptist now has been, he's born and he's preaching the coming of the Messiah. He, they said to him, are you the Messiah? He goes, oh, I'm the light. I'm just the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. As I said, they were, re they were related. They knew each other. But at this particular time, Jesus shows up. And let's read it from verse 13. It says, and Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, no, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me? But Jesus said to him, permit me to do so. Now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I just want you to highlight that in your book. You're taking notes. Yep, absolutely, everyone. And then he allowed him. No, no condemnation. 
Yeah, next one for me. I didn't, I didn't tell you the next one. No need, don't worry. When he had baptized him, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending him like a dove alighting upon him. I just, wanted, I just want to go back to the, can you go back to the righteousness one? Jesus answers and said to him, permit me to be so now for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Why did John the Baptist allow him to be baptized? He said, I'm not worthy to untie your shoelaces. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. This is his cousin who played, you know, marbles with for growing up. But now there's something changed. There's a change going on here. There's something very special happening with John. Because John says, no, no, wait, I can't baptize you. He says, but this is to fulfill righteousness. And he allowed him. See, under the law of Moses, John grew up in a priestly family. John's father, as we know, it was a high priest. He was ministering in the temple. Remember when the angel appeared and said, John, your, ma- your wife Elizabeth's going to have a baby? Remember that story? And the Bible's quite clear. It says, John came from a priestly. This is what I wrote here. Zachariah is from Abijah. Now, I looked up Abijah, and it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a family from the line of Aram. So there was many different families offshoot from Aram over the years. So his father was from the line of Aram. So he was a legitimate priest in the line of Aram. Then it says John's mother, and uh, Elizabeth, was in the Bible says that she was the daughter of Aaron. So he understood sacrifices in the temple. He understood what righteousness in the temple meant. He understood what a, what a sacrifice had to be. So he grew up in a family of priests. Are you with me? So he himself was a priest. His father was from the line of Aaron. And then the Bible goes on to say Elizabeth was from the line of Aaron. Why would the Bible go out over their way to tell you Elizabeth? Because there's something special going on here. So both his parents, we know his genealogy. It's from the priesthood. Here comes Jesus to him. He says, now baptize me. It's to fulfill all righteousness. Now, if you understand Jerusalem, we think baptism is a Christian thing. It's not. Many religions have baptisms. It's a form of going to change or to go from one thing to another. But it's interesting that in Jerusalem, they have these baths called mitbaths. And whenever a, 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 a priest or someone in the temple wants to cleanse himself, they would actually have stairs. So he'd walk down the stairs into a bath, go under the water and walk out. It's a, it's a sign of purification. It's a sign of when, when, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they came to the promised land, guess what? There was a Jordan. They had to go through the waters of baptism. They had to go from the old the wilderness into the lush, beautiful promised land, Jerusalem. Are you with me? But see, Jesus could have been baptized by John in the temple. There's baths everywhere. Archaeologists have found them. But no, he went to the Jordan. Why? Something's about to change. Jordan's always about change. See, the Red Sea, when it opened, that speaks of circumcision. When they got to the promised land, they went from the old to the new. What happens when you get baptized? That's why baptism is so important. What happens when you get baptized? You go from the old man, he dies in the water, and you come out the new man. The old man passes away, behold, all things become new. I go from death to life. I make that decision to die with Christ, to be buried with Christ and rise again. This is no simple thing. This is a very powerful mystery in the gospel. And Jesus understood this. So Jesus wasn't going, and please, let's get rid of our Sunday school definitions of Jesus' baptism. Because we were taught he did it to show us the baptism. He did it out of respect. He did it. Listen, that's all great. I'm not saying that's wrong. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the pure sacrifice. 
He was the king of kings. But there was one issue. In order for Jesus to be our high priest and to have a sacrifice on the cross, Jesus was not from the right lineage. He was from Judah. He wasn't from Aaron. So if Jesus said not one letter of the law, he says not one comma, apostrophe, full stop will be removed from the law. If Jesus had to be the Messiah, he had to fulfill the whole book of Moses to the dot, to the apostrophe, to the comma. Otherwise, he couldn't be the son, he couldn't be the sacrifice for our sin. I'm giving you a backdrop on how important the cross was. But he now is coming to John. We know that we established that John is a son of a priest, priestly home. His bloodline is from the priesthood. We know that Jordan is the type of change. We're going from the old to the new. We're going from the wilderness into the promised land. True? If you go to Jordan now, you look across the Jordan, it's barren. Go across the other side, it's lush. Till this day. And it's interesting. Jesus now comes to John. To for, he didn't get baptized for sin. We know Jesus had no sin in him. He didn't get baptized to show us how to get baptized. He, he went to fulfill an exchange in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish law. If a priest or an elder of the church or the temple had to transfer his mantle, his calling to the next generation, like let's say he got old or got sick and he couldn't fulfill his obligations in the temple, he would go through water baptism. The guy would get baptized with him, he'd walk out and the guy would walk out with his position. He now, John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah, the son of Elizabeth, is now baptizing. He's baptizing people for repentance of sin because there's one coming after me that's greater than me. Jesus shows up. He goes, how do I fulfill righteousness? Jesus was the king of the Jews, was he not? Was he the king of uh, Israel? We just established. He's the lamb of God now. Now we need a high priest that's worthy of the sacrifice. Jesus became that high priest that day. What happened? What happens in the temple, guys? Come on, we've, we, I want... What happens in the temple on the Passover? What does the priest do? He, what, 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 what? Why? How does he go with the Holy of the Holy? With what? What sacrifice? A what? The blood of a lamb. True? But how does he do that? He lays hands on the lamb, doesn't he? Does he confess his sins on the lamb? That the lamb becomes the sacrifice. In other words, that lamb now becomes the sacrifice. All the sin of his sin and Jerusalem sins on the lamb. Then the lamb becomes the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. He takes the blood into the Holy of Holies. Now he's got permission to go into the Holy and to get mercy and grace and be forgiven. True? Now Jesus Christ comes to John the Baptist. Look at this. We still need a high priest, but this is it. He comes to John the Baptist as a priest. He goes to John the Baptist, sorry, as a king, king of the Jews, king of Israel. But what does the Bible say about Melchizedek? Priest forever? Well, what, what other attribute did Melchizedek? And there's some people that don't know what that is. I'll explain it. But I just want to just want to see if people are listening. I'll just stay with Renee. Renee, answer all the questions, please. <laughs> no father, no mother, no genealogy. Melchizedek, his name was Melchizedek, which means the king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem or the king of Salam or the king of peace. He showed up to Abraham in the Old Testament. And he brought wine and bread. He established the communion table before there was communion. He came to Abraham and said, I'm the king of Melchizedek. He offered him a tenth of his spoils. He is a king and a priest from God with no genealogy, 
listen to this. No mother, no father. How does, how does that work? And at that time, there was no priest. The law of Moses didn't come into later. Yet Jesus is called the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. Here is to fulfill, he's gone, fulfill the king of righteousness. In other words, Jesus came to John the Baptist as a legitimate priest. Caiaphas was not a legitimate priest. He was put there by the government of their day. So when John the Baptist touched him and baptized him, guess what he did? He transferred, not only was he the Lamb of God who took the sin of the world, he transferred his anointing of a priest to Jesus. When he went into the water, he went in the king of the Jews and he came out the king of righteousness. And now he's fulfilled the whole law in that moment. And now he has the right to go to the cross now, go to the altar to pay for all our sin. Because now we have a legitimate priest, we have a legitimate sacrifice, and we have a legitimate king. Does that make sense? So when I start to think about that, I think, oh, Tony, you're going too far. No! How did, how did Jesus fulfill the law? Part one, he became king, priest, and prophet. Now it's exciting. Who's learning something? Because it's very interesting to know that it's very interesting to know that when Jesus came, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. We always think Ten Commandments, don't we? True, let's be honest. But we were all, any Jews here? <laughs> he says me because he doesn't spend money, that's why. You put your hand up, you cop it, I'm sorry. We're not Jews, we're Gentiles. We were never under the covenant, we're never under the law. But where did Melchizedek show up? That king of peace, the king of righteousness. He showed up to Abraham before the law. Who are we known as? Children of Abraham. We come under the blessings of Abraham. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. What did he fulfill? All the death requirements of the law. If you were to look at the Ten Commandments, have you broken them? Have you broken them? Can you keep them? See, if the Ten Commandments get you to heaven, we're all going to hell. Because no one can keep it. Jesus said, if you break one, you've broken them all. Does that mean the law is rubbish? Oh, don't you dare say that. The law of God is holy and righteous. But the Bible says what the law failed to do, the law failed to do because of our flesh. What's the Rose we've been talking about for the last six years? Kill the flesh. Flush out the soul. Because the flesh, whoever walks in the flesh, is judged by the law. Whoever walks in the spirit is judged by Jesus. And he went to the cross for me and, and delivered me. Amen. Does that mean the law is not applicable? Of course it does. But now they're written on my heart. I'm not going by a set of standards to get blessed. Now I come into the holy because of the blood of Jesus. I'm set free and saved because of the blood. And if you understand the concept of the blood, you don't want to sin. Because if you're in love with him, you won't sin. It's not a cover up for sin. The law hasn't gone. Trust me, the law still faces you every day but I'm not obliged by the law. And the law means the Torah, the whole law, sacrificial law, ceremonial law, how to dress, how, what to wear. All these things have been established in Christ. He fulfilled them all. But this is, gets interesting. Matthew 26, 59. Now, I get excited when I saw this. You may not. But if I'm having a good time, I don't care. 
Now the chief priests and the elders, this is now Jesus is arrested. So now we have established that he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords. We've established that he was the king of Israel or the king of the Jews. Now he's the king of righteousness in the order of Melchizedek, a true priest. There was a priest, there was a high priest, and Jesus is known to us as the great high priest. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, not just the Jews. Amen? Now he's arrested. Now the chief priests and the elders, they falsely accused Jesus and put him to death, but found none. Now stop. He was in, sometimes you watch videos, you see Jesus talking to Caiaphas, the high priest, there's two or three people there. No, no, no. He was in front of all the Sanhedrins, all the scribes, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees, all the experts of the law, the Jewish law, every expert that knew anything about the law of Moses was there. It's like saying this, I go to the courtroom and there's 500 barristers and they're looking at me to see if they can find one thing that I've broken the laws, they can find me guilty. Imagine going in an atmosphere like that, they're trying to catch you out. And you have experts of the law that know this stuff back to front. He's standing in front of them. And they're trying to find something with him and they said they found none. But even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, at last two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept his silence. You know, the, the King James says he kept his peace. There's nothing more aggravating to someone like Rabs preaching on envy. There's nothing more worse when someone's envy and you don't say a word and you just got peace. It upsets them more. The devil just goes crazy. Rabs was in the situation this weekend like that. He kept his peace and that how many times when people, they're snarring at you, they don't know why they hate you. And you just, how you doing, bro? Now, I can't say I've always been like that. Put a camera in my face and, and umbrellas and I'll go crazy. But anyway. But Jesus kept his silent or kept his peace. I was at a wedding last week and someone had the cameras. I started meeting Chris and he goes, what are you doing? I go, I just got a bit edgy. I saw cameras. I thought they were paparazzi. Sorry. And the high priest answered, stop laughing. The high priest answered and said to him, I'll put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is something I never knew and I wanted to know. Go to Leviticus chapter 5. And I want to say this, and I'm not saying that's the only thing, but you know when the Holy Spirit whispers something in your spirit? You think, wow, God just spoke to me. Like, it's not revelation. God spoke to my spirit. I just want to share this with you. And we can argue about it later if it's true. There's 10 transgression laws in the Old Testament. When we say law, please, just, yes, there's 10 commandments, but there's other trespasses laws, things that you break and you have to pay for, whether you get a dove, a pigeon. If your sin was big, if you're walking down the street with a cow, oh my God, what did he do? <laughs> this is one of the trespasses. Please listen to me. I'm not trying to get into the old, that. But this is when... You're testifying as a witness, whether it's like a courtroom type scenario or an accusation against you. Caiaphas said, swear under oath, which means I'm declaring above heaven and earth. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Because up until that point, if you read the whole properly, Jesus didn't open his mouth, just stood there. They accused him of everything. He just stood there. He didn't say a word. But now, look at this. He, he swears an oath. And I found out this the other day. 
if a person sins and in a hearing, which is a courtroom or whatever, the utterance of oath, or I swear by oath, or I swear on the living God, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? You know, when you swear on the Bible, you're not cursing the Bible, you're swearing on the Bible, you're making an oath, true? Whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. If you know the truth about something and you don't speak it, you're guilty of it. Now, Jesus doesn't open his mouth. Can we go back to John, please? Jesus does not open his mouth. That's the law. Now, Jesus had to fulfill all the law, did he not? Not one dot, one dot, one comma. He couldn't go around it. God spoke it into existence. He declared it. In order for Jesus to be the perfect lamb of God, he cannot sin. Jesus now has to speak because he's just declared that oath in Leviticus chapter 5. You have to speak. Now, this is what God got me before we go there. God is so excited. Remember when they brought the woman of committing adultery and they threw it at him? And they said to him, all right, Rabbi, the law of Moses, which is what we just read in Leviticus as part of it, she should be stoned committing adultery. What do you say? Trying to catch him out. And I believe in my heart, the Holy Spirit whispered in my heart, why he said, if you have sin, cast the first stone. He wasn't talking about their, them as sinners in general. He was because they were, were all sinners. He was saying to them in, by, based on Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1, if you have sinned in this matter and you know the truth, stoner if you're not guilty. But if you are, be careful, in other words. And they, that's why the Bible says the oldest to the youngest dropped the stone because they knew this law. They thought, oh, oh, if we keep going with this lie, she was committing adultery, but where was the guy? How did you catch her? Did you set her up? What were you watching? Where were you waiting? What did you do? Did you entrap? All these things. And the oldest to the youngest dropped the envy will always entrap you. Envy will always come after you. Religion will always try to find you. From the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the stone. Why? The oldest, they would have stood up, those young guys said, come with us. Yeah, yeah. Because they're old. Guess what? They would have known that Leviticus chapter 5. And guess what? They would have been found guilty of that sin as well. Because he did say to them, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. And we think it's, oh, uh, if you're not a sinner. No, he was saying, if you're guilty of this sin and you know the truth, you're going to be liable for that law and you die. And they dropped this stone from the oldest to the young. That was just the Holy Spirit just was off the topic, but I got excited. Go to the next verse. That's why scripture interprets scripture. Amen. Scripture interprets scripture. Not Tony interprets scripture. Or it's scripture interprets scripture. And God's word does not, there's no chaos, there's no errors in God's word. But when you have time with the Holy Spirit, He will show you things. Not to say, oh, look what I saw, but to change your heart, to change your mind. Look at this. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, the, of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So now Jesus hasn't said a word. He's sitting there. God knows how long. And now all of a sudden, he swears an oath. And now Jesus is a man under the law. He had to answer. So he answered, it is as you say it is. And look what he says. He says, now the high priest tore his clothes. My mum done that a few times. And he, he has spoken blasphemy. What further do we need now, witnesses? Look now. And we have heard this blasphemy. He ripped his cloak. They got him. They finally got him in their mind. Did not Jesus get baptized in the river? Has he not become the king of righteousness now? Has he not become the priest, the great high priest? But there's one problem. Caiaphas is in the way now. You know the rope? Can we put up that 
priest, the midget. Now, last time we used him, he was a bit taller and skinnier, but I don't know what happened to him. Thanks. This is, um, this is the outfit of a high priest, uh, Antoine and Georgina, when they went on their honeymoon, they went to Israel. And I'm sorry about the picture. Look at this. I want to share something with you. This is very powerful to understand that Jesus fulfilled every dot, every comma, every apostrophe. This robe here represents, now there's an undergarment. We'll talk about that in another day. That's very important. Probably the most important garment out of all those garments. But those garments represent the natural and Jesus represents the supernatural. When a high priest, this is a high priest. When you got, when you're righteous, this robe was considered the robe of righteousness. What happens when we get born again? We become righteous. It's a gift. And God dresses, dresses us with the robe of righteousness. True? Or the garment of righteousness. This garment here represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See here, you've got pomegranates, bells. Pomegranates, bells. Pomegranate bells. I'm not talking about that now. The high priest wore this. This was not, not only symbolic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this garment here, only the high priest or the priest wore, not the rabbis. Rabbis would have just wore that. And the, obviously the, um, the Tanakh, I think it's called. Now look at this. This garment in Leviticus, this is how intricate. Around the collar, they'd make it thicker. Why? You weren't allowed to tear it. In Leviticus, it says, when you make the garment, build it up so no one can tear it because Jewish men used to get angry and tear the first thing. If someone died, they would tear their clothes. If, someone, if their son disowned them and did something wrong, they would disown him, they'd tear their clothes. If someone blasphemed, they'd tear their clothes. But that robe is his mantle. That robe is the garment of his priesthood. In other words, spiritually speaking, that's who he is in the order of his office as a priest. When Caiaphas ripped his clothes, guess what he did? He ripped off his mantle and he was no longer the priest because under the law, you deserve death if you rip your cloak, especially as a high priest. So what happens is now the, the high priest of Israel has just ripped his clothes and everybody of those lawyers now are saying, Houston, we have a problem. Because they knew the law. They're thinking, Wow, tomorrow's the Passover. Well, now we don't have a priest to do the sacrifices because he just broke the law by ripping his cloak. Guess who was the true high priest? Guess who was the true high priest now? Guess who was the true high priest? Who do you say he is now? Now he's the legitimate high priest. There's no one in the way. Now he can go to the cross. Listen to me. As the priest, the Lamb of God, and the king on that cross, to die for your sin and my sin because he fulfilled the law. He never broke the law, not just morally. He didn't sin. The Bible says he fulfilled every requirements against you and me. If you go through the whole law, Leviticus laws, there's the law, Ten Commandments, and there's the other laws in Leviticus, which is 600 of them. Can you keep them all, man? How to dress, how to look, how to smell, how to drink, what to sleep. All the, you're going to hell. Yet Jesus fulfilled every one of them, even the comma. There's nothing left. Listen, every accusation against you by the devil has no ground to land on you if you understand the power of the cross and understand what Jesus did at the cross for you. He fulfilled it all. He's the great high priest. Now, I came out of a church that believes in intercession. But I want to tell you something now. In Isaiah 53, it says, we have a person who intercedes on our behalf. He's called Jesus Christ, the priest of all priests. Jesus takes your prayer and delivers them to the Father. But how does he answer them? He says, look at my scars, Lord Father. Look at my nails in my hands. Look at the nails in my feet. 
Look at the, 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 the spearing. Look at the crowns. I'm like, he answers them because he says, the fulfillment of the law, there's no more written laws against you. But if you repent and you come to God in a pure heart, guess what he does? He removes that sin and shame off you. And that way you go, your prayers go straight to the Father because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's no one else. There's no one else worthy to take your prayer. There's no one else worthy to take your prayers and take them to the Father. Because the Bible says there's only one God, a one mediator between God and man. That man is Christ Jesus, who laid down his life as a ransom. Someone paid a price to open up heaven for me so I can go directly to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. He fulfilled every dot, every comma, every little apostrophe. He fulfilled it all. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. He's our Savior, He's our Lord, but He's our priest. It is interesting, guys. The question is, who do you say He is now? Now I can explain to that person how He fulfilled the law, lawyers. There's a few looking at me and going, yeah, but, but, but. Jesus, there's nothing... The more I dig into this, I could have given it for another two hours, but the more I look at it, I think, God never left any open door for the enemy against you. Not one thing. Not one thing. And there's one more thing. That tune, can we put the, um, my mate up? Now, I just want to share this. Caiaphas was not a legitimate high priest of his day. He was not from the line of Aaron. He was put there by the governor. In other words, Rome was occupied by the government of their day. And the government of the day says, if you want to operate in your temple and do what you want, we'll choose your leadership because we don't want a revolution. You know, I don't want your high priest to come. Because, you know, when they said Jesus is claiming to be a king, we only have one king named Herod. Remember that? How does the high priest say we only have one king named Herod? A Gentile. Are they going to cause a revolt against you, governor, which is Pontius Pilate? Kill him. Let's get rid of him because they'll start believing in his works. You know what? Let's get it. John. Chapter 11, 47, just to prove a point. It's the same story as we just read. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him leave him alone this, uh, like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. I'm conforming to the pattern of the government now. Go next. And one of them, Caiaphas, is the high priest, being a high priest, that year said to them, you know nothing at all? You shesh, he said to him. That's, that's what he would have said. You shesh, you know, go. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> and one of them said, uh, if you want that translation in Hebrew or Greek, I'll see you later. <laughs> one of them, <laughs> I can't read now. And one of them, Caiaphas being the high priest, that year said to them, you know nothing, you people, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die, listen to this, for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. He's saying in the natural, man, let's just get rid of this guy, no matter what he thinks he does, because it's better to get rid of him than Rome destroy us all. He didn't know what he was talking about. Remember when the Bible says that Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you? Remember Nathaniel, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Look what the next verse says. Now this... He did not say on his own authority, but being a high priest, so the office of the high priest, the mantle he walked in, even though he was a corrupt person, that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the sin for the nation. 
Even a corrupt man, God used to prophesy what Jesus is going to do at the cross. Even a corrupt man, in the, but he was in the right office, but it was the wrong person. Guess what happened? Truth will always outweigh the facts. Truth will always come through. And I start to think maybe that was the appointed time that Jesus came to the temple because that time Caiaphas wasn't really legitimate priest and there was no sacrifice that was going to be worthy that were going to be accepted. And Jesus shows up at the right place at the right time to take away the sins of the world. Caiaphas prophesied. It didn't come from his own authority. He thought he was prophesying in the natural or speaking in the natural. It's better for one bloke to die. All he's worried about is his natural environment. All he was worried about is that the Romans don't take away our money, take away our temple, take away our livelihood, take away. And he says here that, you know, he's given into the, the, the governor of the day, but he actually was prophesying Jesus' death, that he would forgive the sins of that nation. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. Can we get our mate back up again, sorry? That's called the robe. They're all, they're all garments. But if you read it and you want to search it out, that's a robe. That's from the shoulders to the ankles to cover the nakedness. Adam sinned and the Bible says he was naked. This robe is called the tunic. It goes from his shoulders to his knees. We'll talk about the bells and the pomegranates later. It's all symbolic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, the love of God. We'll talk about that later. You, as I said, you can't rip it. Once you rip it, you've lost your position. Let's have a look. Jesus wore a tunic or a garment, and it was like that blue one. He was a rabbi. He wore that tunic, and the Bible says that it was seamless. It was woven out of one piece. Very expensive. So expensive that they gambled for it. Couldn't be ripped. Now look at this. Matthew 27, verse 35, and we'll close with this. I just want to show you something, how intricate, how if God was concerned about every detail when Jesus came, he's concerned about every inch, every dot in your life. Don't ever think, God, that's not too big. That's too small for me. Come to me when you've got a problem. No, no, no. He's interested in every area of your life, in every detail of your life. Be in Honestly, honest, can I be honest with you? been lying for an hour. No, of course I'm honest. He's already done it all for your life. There's nothing he hasn't left. It's up to you to go and find it. It's up to you. What's that scripture says? It's up for kings to search out a matter. Like Proverbs. Remember, who knows that it's uh, God um, conceals a matter, but it's for kings to search it out. Is that, is that how it says? God can see, see, sometimes God's hiding something from you, not from you, he's hiding that for you. See, sometimes you think, why isn't God speaking to me? Why isn't God t telling me something? Why isn't God moving in my life? But maybe God's holding it so you can come and search it out. Because if you find it, if I tell you the truth about something, oh, that's good, Tony. But if you find it for yourself, no one's ever going to take that off you. So your testimony will never be taken off you. Never be taken off you. Little kids, they play treasure hunt, don't they? What are they looking for? Little chocolates? They've got 500 of them in the cupboard. They eat them every day. Think about it. Easter comes, they've got 4 million chocolates. But now we do a treasure hunt and they go finding the treasure hunt and they get so excited because they're searching out. They're searching out. When they find it, yeah, I found one. But they, got, they just ate 10 before they started the game. What is it about finding something that's mine? Same with the word of God, people. God's not hiding from you. 
He's hiding it for you. And when you do find it, it changes your life. Don't tell me what you know. Tell me how it's transformed you. They crucified him. And they divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. It's in the Psalms. Look what it says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. If you have a look at the picture of it, they never ripped his garment. It's very expensive. What does a Roman have to do with a Jewish clothes? Romans hated Jews. They were wearing rags at the best of it. The rabbis wear white robes. The Romans didn't wear that. But when you have a seamless robe, very expensive, they, got, they gambled for it to see who would get it. But that fulfilled the scripture that they gambled for his clothes. But if you read in Psalm, it was never to be torn. If they tore it, Jesus could not have been the high priest either. But because his mantle was the priesthood, even that was fulfilled that he didn't get his robe torn. To the letter. And he's at the cross and he gave up his spirit. And remember what the Romans said? Truly he is the son of God. Can we stand? Hallelujah. Does that make any sense to anyone? Do you understand now that your priest, your priest that intercedes for you is the great high priest? Do you understand that the sacrifice that was put on the cross was worthy? He consumed it all. Who is Jesus to you now? You know, I said a lot today. I cut it down because it was, it's not about the information, but you needed to understand. Now you know that, now you know that when he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled it to the last dot. When God said to Moses, build up, build the tabernacle, it had to be built precisely the way God wanted it. No shortcuts, no to exact measurements, to exact, everything had to be perfect. Why? Because Jesus was the perfect lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Jesus, did, God didn't give us a half cast. God didn't give us someone who had blemish and sin. It had to be Jesus. So if God is interested in a piece of timber as an altar and bronze all over the, the altar and a perfect lamb, with a perfect high priest who had to purify himself. If he didn't, he dropped dead. And God was interested in every little nook and cranny. How much more is he interested in you then? How much more has he got the whole of heaven looking over heaven, just looking into your hearts and saying, where are my people? How much more does he love you than a lamb? People say to me, Jesus is the pinnacle. Yeah, he is. But God esteemed us higher than Jesus. How can you say that? Because he sent him to a cross to die under evil man's hands. You don't send your most valuable asset to die for someone you don't love. You don't send the, the, the glory of the father who's been with him from the foundation of the world to die because you're just a dirty, rotten sinner that you need salvation. He doesn't go give him your best. He could have given you another lamb. He could have sent an angel. But no, he sent the best. And not only did he send the best, the Bible says that the lamb was slayed before the foundation of the world. Before there was lambs, the lamb was slayed. What does that mean? 
It means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were talking. And they said one day we're going to make man, and we're going to have fellowship with man, but they're going to fall. And Jesus in that conversation said, but I'll put on, give me your suit, and I'll go and die for them to restore them. God gave us a way out before we were even created. Doesn't leave anything amiss. Nothing's a secret to God. Nothing's a surprise to God. But what's holding us back? Why don't we step into his favor? There's someone in heaven praying for you 24 hours, seven days a week. His name is Jesus. You know why Caiaphas ripped his cloak? Because in his eyes, Jesus blasphemed anyway. But why that point in time? Why did he rip it? Why did he get so angry? Because even though he was a puppet and he was corrupt, he was still a Jew. He still grew up as a rabbi. He was still very religious. So when Jesus said, when you see me seated at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father, to him that would have signified, hang on a second, high priests sacrificed lambs, twice, two lambs a day. But on the Passover, they did one at nine o'clock, one at 12 o'clock, but then the three o'clock lamb that they sacrificed on that day when Jesus was on the cross is called the Passover lamb. Those other lambs were for trespasses of sin and sin offerings. But the third lamb, Jesus got nailed at three hours, which is the day starts at six. Nine o'clock, Jesus was nailed to a cross. Twelve o'clock, the, 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 the darkness came over the whole world. People say it's an eclipse. No, it was the sin of mankind. And three o'clock, Jesus gave up his spirit. Nine o'clock, the first lamb was sacrificed. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Twelve o'clock, the next lamb was sacrificed. Darkness came over the deep. Three o'clock, Jesus gave up his spirit, the last lamb. Isn't it interesting? Three people, there's three crosses that day. One in the morning where there's light. One of the thieves says, remember me in your kingdom. Twelve o'clock, the other thief says, Get us off and get yourself off. And what are we doing here? And he died in his darkness. Darkness came over the deep. And three o'clock, Jesus gave up his spirit with the last lamb. The Bible says that when a priest would sacrifice the last lamb, you know what he would do? Walk out to the temple gates, out of the Holy of Holies, into the outer court. Everybody's waiting. He'd walk out covered in blood and water. He'd lift up his hands and say, It is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And then the priest, from the beginning of the morning, when doing his sacrifices, he wasn't allowed to sit down. He only sat when the last lamb was crucified. He would sit, and then it's a finished work. What did Jesus say? You'll see me come back on a cloud of glories, and you'll see me seated at the right hand of the Father, claiming to be God. He goes, blasphemy. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus sat and said, it's finished. You know, everything's finished against you. The only problem you have, you have the Father living in you. You have the Son living in you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. The problem is you have you living in you. If you kill you, then the three that become one will manifest out of your heart. That's the truth. That's the truth. There's nothing being left. It's a finished work bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. Now, every time you hear that, thank you for the finished work of the cross. There's nothing left to be done. You've done it 
4. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He loves you. This Jesus that came on this earth in the form of a man is subject to the law of the land, the law of Moses, the law of the Father. I did not break them all. Did not break one. Did not. He was willing to go to the cross. He who knew no sin became sin that we can become the righteousness of God because the king of righteousness reigns in the order of Melchizedek, the king of peace. The Bible says we don't have a priest that can't sympathize with us, but we have a high priest that is and understands what we've been through. You've been rejected? Jesus was rejected. You've been bashed? Jesus was bashed. You've been spoken about? Jesus was spoken about. You've been accused? Jesus was accused. Have you been separated from loved ones? Jesus was separated. Have you been betrayed by your friends? Jesus was betrayed by your friends. Was he alone? Jesus was alone. On the cross he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? First time in ever in history of creation and before creation that Jesus was alone. But in actual fact, he was never alone. But God had to lift his hand off him. Because if Christ didn't take it all, every dot, every comma, every apostrophe, every sin, it couldn't. Jesus had to feel hopelessness in order to be the pure lamb who took away the sins of the world. God removed his hand. And he says, into your hands I give you my spirit now. In other words, now the greatest act of faith ever in the history of the world is when Jesus said, I'm ready to die, Father. And if you don't raise me from the dead, I'll stay dead. And he gave up his spirit. And tonight, I want to ask you a question. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Have you lifted up your hands and said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Lord, I, I try. Lord, I, I, I don't want to do the things I do. Lord, I, I don't understand sometimes. Why is this happening to me? Jesus says, come to me, those who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Because he's the king of peace. If you don't know Jesus tonight, today is the day of your salvation. To understand the prince of peace, the king of righteousness. Who is Jesus to you today? I want you to see Jesus bigger than you've ever seen him before. Today is the day of your salvation. You leave here today different than we came in because of the spirit of grace. Let's not be people that just accept things for what they are. Let's be a people that understand the heart of God. Jesus will move mountains. Jesus will restore your heart. Jesus will take away that pain. Jesus will give you a future. He'll redeem you, bring you hope. He's the God of hope. Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is true. Pray, Father, this word falls on good soil and it produces a hundredfold in people's hearts. By the spirit of grace, Lord, I bless everyone here tonight. I thank you for their hearts that they know you, they want to serve you. 
And the ones that don't know you, Father, I bring conviction to their heart that they may know how much the Father loves them. He moved heaven and earth to get to you. But today is the day of your salvation. So Lord, I lift up holy hands and say, thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you. Bless them. Father, speak into their spirit, man. Speak into their hearts, Father. That they may know how much you love them. Give you all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.